0: Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at MontereyChurch.com. Well, let me invite you to imagine this morning that we are sitting across a table from one another. Uh, We are reading Scripture together. We are reflecting on the words of Scripture And as we share together in God's Word, we have come to John chapter 9. That's a chapter, by the way, that some of you have heard me preach from before. Uh, A rather lengthy reading. And so let me ask for your patience this morning, but I want you to hear the entire story in John chapter 9. And as I read the text, let me ask you to ponder these three questions. Number one. Has it ever been communicated to you, either directly or indirectly, you don't belong here? Number two, have you ever communicated to someone else, either directly or indirectly, by your language, by your posture, you don't belong here? And number three, as we read the story together, how many blind people are in this story? And so as we sit across the table from one another, let's read from John chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Uh, We know he's our son, his parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are, you, are, are, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And so again, as we sit across a table from one another, would you join me in reflecting on that story? And as we reflect on that story, in addition to the other questions I posed, may we grapple with this overall question. So as we read, who do you see? As we read the story, as we reflect on the story, who do you see? Who do you see if you are a disciple of Jesus? You know, these 12 men had been with Jesus for quite some period of time. They have seen incredible miracles. They have listened to incredible teaching. They have seen the compassion and the love of Jesus over and over again. This Jesus who obviously could heal a man who is blind. And so you would assume that the disciples might say, Jesus, the guy is blind. Would you touch his eyes? Would you allow him to see? But in contrast to that, they pose a question. Teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. In other words, rather than extending compassion, what the disciples see is an issue. If I I might phrase it this way, what they see is a theological problem. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Uh, Can we be honest with ourselves for a moment? How many times do we look at people who are hurting, and rather than seeing the need and the ways that we can walk alongside them, we begin to raise questions. Human beings who are created in the very image of God, who are in need, and we begin to raise our religious questions, our religious issues, our traditions, our theological postures. Why is this man blind? Who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because after all, there has to be a logical answer. And so what is your position on human suffering? Why do human beings experience any kind of suffering? Or any number of other theological questions that we might raise. So imagine again for just a moment, we have all all walked into this room this morning. And my guess is there is at least one or two of you, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, one or two of you, where this past week has been an incredibly tough week. Anybody identify with that? It's been an incredibly tough week. And what you need, what I need more than anything else, is to find a safe place where we love each other, where we're drawn together again to Jesus, where folks are willing to embrace us and love us, just like Denise and Warren shared earlier as we talked about communion, encouraging one another, And far, far too often, rather than extending that kind of love and welcome, we begin to criticize one another. Well, if he could just get his act together, if she could just put up a good solid front, we begin to criticize one another. Or we begin to raise questions related, for example, to even our worship styles. Is it okay to raise our hands in worship? And so if somebody raises their hands, we kind of look at them with a question mark. What's your posture on instrumental music? What's your posture on women's roles in the church? What about other churches? Can we partner with other churches? Can we even have fellowship with them? What's your position on marriage and divorce and remarriage? What's your position on same-sex marriage? What's your position on immigration? Jesus, we've got this theological question, and we know you can give us a good answer. Never mind The man's blindness, never mind the poverty, never mind the children who are dying from starvation, who sinned? This man or his parents? Man who was born blind. Who do you see if you're a disciple of Jesus? And who do you see? Who do you see if you're a neighbor? The text says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. <laughs> kind of that humorous point in the text where he finally insisted, I, I am the person. I am the man. But you see, all the neighbors saw in the story is a guy who was born blind, a guy who is a beggar. And so they placed that label on him. Oh, that's just the beggar. And how do you treat a beggar? Well, you don't have much to do with them. You might drop a few coins in their tin cup. But you see, we pigeonhole people. We deal with them as categories. I don't know how many people you've known through your life that was blind, people that were blind physically. Remember a young lady who was an incredible influence in my journey of faith because of the way she walked with God even though she was born blind remember a young man that I went to graduate school with who could navigate that campus as well as any of us, even though he was blind and who was an incredible follower of Jesus. How many folks have you known who were blind? How many folks have you known who were beggars And Then you reflect on the stigma that we attach to blindness or the stigma that we attach to those who are beggars. In fact, the stigma that we often attach to folks who are struggling with any number of things, folks who are struggling with disease or illness or addiction or suffering. You see, we know somewhat about the stigma that was attached to blindness in that first century world, the stigma that was attached to other things like leprosy in that first century world. And in the minds of a lot of folks, when they saw someone who was blind, then the conclusion is that person is blind because of some sin they've committed or that somebody committed. And so who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I love Tom Long's language as he reflects on the blind man in the community. He says, the blind person was often the community's designated sinner. He's just the beggar. And so we put people into categories. I know that none of you would ever have the audacity to look at me and say, well, he's just the preacher. You know how preachers are. He's black. She's just a woman she's Mexican, he's a Muslim, he's homosexual. Oh, you know how young people are. And religiously, we banter around terms like liberal and conservative and progressive and traditional. We place labels on people. And rather than seeing people, we see those labels, we see those categories. A man who was born blind. Who do you see if you're a neighbor? And by the way, do you remember that piece of the conversation last week as we talked about loving God and loving others, loving our neighbor? That when Jesus talks about loving neighbor, he doesn't limit it to those folks we like. He extends it to include all people. And I used the illustration last Sunday. It's kind of like Jesus' words that we need to feed the hungry. And we may step back and say, well, there's a ton of hungry folks in this world. There's no way I can feed them all. There's a ton of neighbors in this world. There's no way I can love them all. And Jesus might well say, how about if you begin right where you are? And so we extended that challenge last Sunday. That rather than thinking outside the walls of this building for a moment, and we're going there, but rather than thinking outside the walls of this building, what if we began by simply talking about our love for each other? And so we extended the challenge last week that at some point during this series, this six-week series, that you invite someone to your home for dinner who's never been in your home before, someone from this church, a man who was born blind. Who do you see if you're the neighbor? Who do you see? Who do you see if you're the Pharisee? You know, similar to other stories in the Gospels, the Pharisees basically see a problem. One, the blind man got his help from the wrong person. He got his help from Jesus, and they've already drawn a conclusion about Jesus. Two, the healing takes place on the wrong day. It was the Sabbath. And every time I read this text in John 9, I'm reminded of the stories early in the Gospel of Mark, those Sabbath controversies, Uh, the guy who had a shriveled hand, and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. But rather than there being rejoicing, In that story, it seems as though there were those who were gathered looking to see what Jesus might do this time, ready to criticize him if he did something on the Sabbath that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. A blind man now sees, and unless I've missed something in the text, there is absolutely no rejoicing. Here's how it might play out in church. Why, if we begin that ministry, do you realize the problems we're going to have? Can can you just imagine all of those foster children who don't know how to behave, all of those folks who've been divorced, all of those folks who struggle with alcohol, who struggle with addiction, all of those folks who struggle with their sexual identity. Why? If you help people, if you invest in people's lives, you're going to have people calling you at every hour of the day and night. And we really don't have time for that after all. You can't have that. Or maybe we choose to invest just a little bit. We choose to test the water. And lo and behold, there's a small victory that takes place. Let's assume there's somebody who has struggled with alcohol for years, and now suddenly they've been sober for a month. It's just a small victory, but rather than us celebrating, somebody says, you know, he's probably going to relapse after all. Give him another day or two. We'll see what he's really made of. And rather than walking alongside folks, we end up again with this spirit of criticizing. We see a problem. Just like the Pharisees. And by the way, all of the different things I've mentioned this morning as well as a 1,001 other things that I could mention. If you're struggling with any of those things, I want you to hear me say clearly, you are welcome here. Because you see, all of us are sinners if we're honest, all of us struggle with some kind of an addiction, and yet the power of the cross of Jesus is the message that says you belong. Not because we've got it all figured out, not because we've addressed all of our sins, but because Jesus steps in to walk alongside us and to carry us to a better place. And I pray that we're trying to love people the way Jesus loved people. A man who was born blind, who do you see if you're a Pharisee? Who do you see who do you see if you are the parents? Well, the parents saw a son, but might I suggest they only saw a son, and so they refused to get involved. I love what one writer, uh, how, how one writer describes this scene. He says their son, in many respects, was a love object. A love object is something or someone that you love, somebody that gives you satisfaction, but the minute the focus is taken off of you and what you are getting out of it, then there's an issue you drop them like a hot potato. Parents in this particular story who no doubt had prayed a thousand times over that their son would be able to see, but who now run with fear because of the religious leaders. What a reaction and what a contrast to the love Jesus invites us to show. You see, when you truly love someone, whether it takes 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 years, you walk alongside them you have the opportunity to be the presence of Jesus. And so a man who was born blind, who do you see if you are the parents? Who do you see? And who do you see if you're Jesus? The text says that Jesus saw the man, He saw an opportunity for the work of God to be done. He saw someone made in the very image of God. He saw someone that he needed to walk alongside with. He saw an opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed in his ministry and in the life of that man. What does it mean to see people through the eyes of Jesus? And as we continue to walk through this series and as we sit across the table from one another reading from the Gospel of John, we read stories like the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and Zacchaeus, eyes of mercy and compassion and love and healing. You see, the challenge is to see people with the eyes of Jesus, to see blindness and AIDS and poverty and social injustice and divorce and heartache as opportunities for the work of God to be done. And by the way, did you notice as we read the story together how this man responded? Did you notice the progression in the story? Initially the neighbors ask, "Who healed you?" Well, the man called Jesus. The Pharisees who contend that whoever healed the blind man cannot be from God because he did it on the Sabbath day. And and now the blind man says, "I don't know much about him, but he's a prophet." A second conversation with the Pharisees after the parents refused to get involved where the Pharisees are saying, you need to give glory to God, but we know this man is a sinner. And the man says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know I was blind and now I can see. I've already told you, you didn't listen to me. And then his penetrating question, do you want to become his disciples too? Even though he has not circled back to see Jesus yet, he's identifying himself as a disciple. And then the Pharisees hurled insults. While well, we're Moses' his disciples, we don't know where this guy even came from. And the man says in one of the boldest statements in the text, you know, that's remarkable. I love it. You know, that, that's remarkable. You don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then that wonderful encounter with the man and Jesus where Jesus hears that he's been cast out of the synagogue, he's been disfellowshipped. And Jesus asks him when he finds him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responds, who is he? Tell me so that I can believe. And Jesus basically says, you're looking at him. And the man says, Lord, I do believe. And he worshiped him. He was once blind, but he now sees, not just with his physical eyes, but with his heart. Oh, by the way, One of the questions I posed at the beginning, how many many blind people in the story? Obviously, the man who was born blind, but how about the disciples? Did, Did they really see? How about the neighbors? How about the Pharisees? How about the parents? How about us? Jesus ultimately says, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And Some of the Pharisees who were still there said, are we blind too? And Jesus says, well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. This incredible paradox he lays out. But now that you claim, now that you claim, you see, your guilt remains. And so maybe one of the penetrating questions is, Am I willing to hear Jesus enough to dig beyond the surface in my life because at one level I might say, well, Jesus, I love all people. And Jesus might say, okay, Barry, let's talk about the kind of language you used regarding that person last week. Let's talk about the criticism. Let's talk about the gossip. Let's talk about, do you really see or are you blind? My prayer is, as we keep walking through this series, is that Jesus will open our eyes and open our ears. That we see people just like us who are made in the very image of God, but people who need to be loved and who need to be welcomed. And I will remind us on the front end that that kind of unconditional welcome and love can be extremely scary and messy. But I believe that's the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be a loving, redeeming presence in our world. And so let me invite you to stand, and I want you to hear the words of this value statement one more time. Let me invite the team to come ahead and join me. And let me read it through this time. In a lonely and unforgiving world, and as we said even last Sunday, those simple words are words that are such a part of the journey for so many people and maybe a part of your journey. Folks who are incredibly lonely and folks who may wonder, can anybody love me, much less forgive me if they really know who I am? In a lonely and unforgiving world, everyone thirsts for a place to belong. Therefore, we will be a people of unconditional welcome and love as we join God in His work of reconciling, redeeming, pulling back to safety, of reconciling the world to Himself. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me for a moment, and I'm going to be very, very personal for a moment. I'm going to ask you to pause and reflect on how you look at people. For the moment, not how you think people may look at you, but how do you look at people. And to be honest, to be honest, do you put people in categories? Do you pigeonhole people? Are there folks that you're not willing to love to embrace? And I'll speak for me, you speak for yourself, but if that's where I am today, I need to repent today. And may God give us that courage. I'm going to invite you to just be quiet with me for a couple of moments in the presence of God as we reflect on how we look at people. You may want to bow your head, you may want to remain standing, you may want to sit, you may want to kneel, but let's be quiet in the presence of God. God, I pray specifically for me this morning, but I also pray for this church. In those moments when I tend to categorize people, to speak ill of people, to not love people, may you remind me, may you remind us that you loved us in spite of us. And so how dare I, based on how much you love me, how dare I not love others? God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We celebrate together your good grace in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. A couple of our shepherds will be at the front. Let's sing together.